Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's Reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Absence Makes the Heart, Part One of Five, written by MacDie. Kishilin Dar Academy of Sciences, Planet of Derkolov, United World Space. She had always known her time at the Academy would be lonesome, not that she would ever be alone, exactly. There were no shortage of people interested in making her acquaintance, of being her friends. There had been no chance that she might have been able to just another face in the crowd, just another student. She had earned her way into what was considered by many as one of the most, if not the most prestigious academy of higher learning in known space. But most assumed her connections had paved the way. After all, Kishilandar Academy was a place for the best, and most thought of lineage as more important than actual talent. Although true telepathy and thought transference were still beyond the clear stood, their abilities of empathic interpretation knew no barrier. Race and culture, alien minds, even great distances were little obstacle to the Cleostad's ability to read emotions and intentions of another, especially if they were somebody that they had met before. As the first daughter of the Empress of the Cleostad Imperium, she benefited from generations of genetic enhancements, more so than even most of her species. Unlike the other races, there was no unified human government. When their species finally began colonizing beyond their home system, they had fractured into dozens of more different nations. Each spoke their own language, had their own beliefs and religions, their own military, their own ambassadors and merchants and companies, and war between human nations was not uncommon. They had been received on the galactic stage at an arm's length. The other races found it challenging to know the difference between the human factions, and diplomatic disasters had been common in the first few years in addition to the United Worlds. Their bickering and infighting confused and angered the other races, to the point that the humans found themselves often excluded from council meetings or discussions. It was a headache simply to understand which of their many ambassadors should be invited, and in what order, and everything led to some sort of implied insult to someone. So, everyone had simply given up talking to the human government. Trade still occurred, humans still traveled amongst the United Worlds, but they were quickly forgotten in the public eye, ignored by the various United Governments of the other races. The first time she met a human had been startling. She felt them before she saw them, heard them before seeing them in the crowd. They were not particularly tall, but they were boisterous and loud, clearly excited for the first year in Krishnan Star Academy of Sciences, and more striking than their naturally loud natures was the depth of their emotions. All sapient beings, even all sentient things their lesser degree, felt emotion. The ability to display and understand emotion was, in fact, a means of determining sapiens in less evolved beings, but most had learned through evolution and survival instinct the benefits of keeping emotions in check. Emotion could lead to irrational behavior, which could put oneself or mates and kin at risk. There was a time and a place for extreme displays of emotion, and that was usually in private, amongst friends and family, not walking in gardens in the most prestigious school and higher learning in known space. 
The wealth and depth of the emotions was almost intoxicating to the unprepared first daughter of the empress of the Cleosted Imperium. Many Cleosted wisely chose to keep their distance from human students during the first weeks of the academy, herself included. For weeks, she and the others of her kind stepped lightly to stay away from the humans. They traveled in pack at first, and their presence, their emotions cast off so carelessly, were as overwhelming. But as time moved on, they grew accustomed to the school, to their fellow students and classmates, they began to drift apart. Their bonds never weakened, but they had new friends to be with, and as their social circles expanded and the distance between them increased, the waves of emotion subsided. Not that they had fewer, only that as individuals the sheer wealth of emotion and energy they exhibited was manageable. She first crossed paths with him in one of the cafeteria halls. Her dorm had its own kitchen and star for said kitchen. She hadn't had time to go all the way back to the still make her next class. An occasional problem, especially if she had been caught up in a class or project. So she would occasionally slum it with the public cafeteria. It offered a quick, if bland, meal. Sitting alone, mostly due to the sparse number of students in the cafeteria, the human male had a handheld device and had all but forgotten his meal. She only noticed him for a sudden wash of emotions the man emitted, a giddy wash of joy and mirth. The man sent out a wave of overwhelming positive emotions without any physical or audible tells. No change of color, no laughter or whistles, no fidgeting. Nothing. He simply sat, quietly spooning some of his cold lunch into his mouth and touched the pad in his hand dragging one finger from the bottom to the top of the screen. Shocked by such a strong wave of emotion, she found herself frozen in place, simply staring at the human as the fellow states seemed to mellow slowly. Minutes passed, and he again brought cold food to his mouth and dragged his finger from the bottom of the screen, scrolling through the pages of words. There came a slow build of yet more emotions from the lone human student, a growing dread, an unease... It grew slowly, a cresting wave doomed to crash down and consume any who would stand in its path. And yet, the human just seemed to scroll more quickly, finger from the bottom to the top again, and again. And then, the inevitable crash came. Dread turned to sorrow, remorse, loss, such grief. And then, it was gone in a flash as the human let out a gruff-sounding harumph and set the pad down and turned his focus to his cold food shoveling a few mouthfuls to clear the plate. When he stood gathering the tray and the device, he moved with a startling surety, up and turned physical momentum already carrying him forward, away from the table, as if the roller coaster of emotions he had just experienced had been nothing to him. Just a moment of time, a fleeting memory, perhaps. A common occurrence. She, however, had never been exposed to such extreme transition, probably why it had taken her off guard and battered down her mental defenses to assault her mind. She was visibly shaken, pale, and exhausted. Tears streamed out her face, and she simply stared where he had been sitting before slowly tracking her gaze to his eyes. He stopped, staring at her with a moment of confusion that quickly turned to concern as he saw the first tear drip from her cheek. Concern turned to shocked realization and then back to confusion, then guilt. All so quickly, his emotions leaping left and right without pause. 
yet so little of it displayed physically. He suddenly turned and set the tray back down on the table and moved to her to take the tray from her own hands and then took a deep, calming breath. The waves of emotion slowed, stilled. I'm so sorry. Proclea stood right. Psychic, I learned about your kind in junior high. Please, sit down. Are you okay? Her focus sundered. She allowed herself to be guided to the table and slowly sat down. With the assault of emotions quieted, she managed to piece together her mental defenses again, silently chastising herself for being taken off guard so easily. She was exhausted, emotionally drained, yet, at the same time, she found herself quietly bolstered by his presence, likely a result of the gentle concern he felt now, coupled with more than a little guilt. Color slowly returned to her features, and her gaze sharpened and cleared. The human male had sat down one seat away from her. There had always been debates amongst biologists and philosophers of many species, focused on the strange similarities between many species, although never conclusively won by any score of thought. The overall belief had been that bipedal forms tended to be most efficient of sapient life. There were of course plenty of diversities between the species, and even a few that broke the mold, but it had also been somewhat striking how similar Cleostids and humans were. A glance, at least. Their eyes were more complex, apparently they were able to see three primary colors, rather than the Cleostids' ability to see two, and could even adjust a startling degree to see in the dark, or in low-light conditions, as they would often clarify. So their eyes were more complex, deeper perhaps. She, of course, had never noticed it until now she found herself staring into his eyes. And suddenly, all of those physical tells she thought absent for the many warring emotions the human could feel at a time became clear. He wasn't sure what to make of her sudden fascination in him. She had locked a gaze with him and seemed unwilling to look away at first. It had been fine, but the longer she stared, the more uncomfortable he became, and the harder it was to keep himself calm. He slowly leaned back from her and very carefully shifted his gaze to the point on her forehead, a challenge for how intense her gaze was. His biology teacher in high school had gone on for hours over the course of many days of classes on why other races looked so human, at least in shape. The best anyone had ever come up with is that they had apparently gotten it right, by means of evolution. They had some advantage other species didn't, but the same could be said for the other species over humans too. The biggest difference that had been realized was humans tended to be far more emotional than the other races of the galaxy. Probably why humans fought amongst their own kind so often, why they couldn't have a unified government, why there were so many opposing religions, and why, after a century of effort, the other races had mostly decided that humans weren't worth the effort, politically. He found himself slowly turning away from her, and she in turn slowly leaned closer as she continued to stare into his eyes. His face slowly reddened, a few beads of nervous sweat appearing on the brow, but she didn't catch on until they cleared his throat. She started, realizing what she'd been doing, and quickly stood up and dropped away from her chair, finding herself uncharacteristically nervous. It took a moment for her to erect the walls again, and then the nervousness vanished once more. More of his own emotions affecting her own mental state, his kind was indeed startlingly emotional. So, um, he chuckled nervously and stood with her. Yeah, are you good? I mean, uh, you look good. 
A sudden spike of nervous energy and his face reddened further, a curious trait that she wasn't sure what to make of. I mean, you look like you're okay, feeling good, I mean, uh, but like, uh, yeah, you're good looking too. It's kind of weird, right? That we can find other races attractive. As he spoke, he continued to grow more nervous, uncertain, panicked even. And if it hadn't happened gradually, it may have well taken her off guard again and triggered her own flight or fight instincts. It was both amusing and incredibly interesting to watch as she tried to follow both his emotional state and what he was saying. The intent behind the words. I mean, not that I find you attra- That is, uh, I do think you're really pretty, but like, um, I, I just wanted to make sure that you know that I'm really sorry for thinking that you weren't, weren't, weren't okay. That you're not alright, because you really are alright, right? And you, um... He finally just froze, staring at her like some sort of pitiful prey animal locked in the gaze of a predator. And she stared at him still, her warm, gentle eyes locked onto his. And then there was another humanist swept out of nowhere, wrapping an arm around the frozen man's shoulders and giving him a quick shake and squeeze. Hey there, this is Ben, and I'm Jake. Ben likes to eat his boots, you see. He isn't good at talking to pretty women. Any woman, really. But pretty ones like yourself, oh yeah. He didn't stand a chance. Ben, say hello to the pretty lady, okay? He smiled then, finally understanding what the man Ben had been going on about. It was startlingly refreshing. He clearly had no idea who she was, so she turned her gaze to the newcomer, smiling still. It's alright, it was my fault. He just seemed so happy that it took me off guard. And then he was so sad, then I feared he might drop dead. It's remarkable, really. I'd always heard your kind were far too emotional, but I'd never really experienced it so directly before. Ben had continued to stare at her as his friend made overtures and introductions, but Jake's presence had at least managed to get him from stop trying to stuff his foot in his mouth, and he took the opportunity to get his thoughts together, only to stumble again. Sad, what? I wasn't sad. Oh, oh, the, the book, yeah. It was a really good part, Jake. Great book. You were right. Jake rolled his eyes and let Ben go, then glanced between her and Ben and back at her again, not speaking. He felt... Uh, mischievous, perhaps? Amused, certainly, but why? He stared at her, then jerked his head towards Ben, as if trying to hint at something. So, Ben, yeah, it's a book. Ben, told you so. Maybe you should lend it to her sometime, he said and looked at her again. And then she caught on. He had introduced them, introductions had been made, and she hadn't. I'm sorry, I'm Pielana, um, Piela. Hello, Ben and Jake. The two humans stared at her for a moment, and then Jake smiled triumphantly and spun about on his heel, demonstrating a surprising level of balance and coordination for a race that she had always heard were brutish and aggressive. My work here is done. And then he just walked away leaving Ben staring at Piella. Her eyes widened, and a half turned in the direction of Jake's departure, only to discover that Jake had started to jog only a few steps away, apparently rushing off to catch up with his own friends, leaving Ben with Piella. She had found new appreciation of things that she had always taken for granted. When Ben first saw hatching cruisers, a species of flying lizard native to Dracolov laying on the ground near the fungal tower, the sudden wash of concern the human felt had yet again caught her off guard. Wild animals existed in perpetual state of survival of the fittest. To find the fallen newborn injured and abandoned by its parents was not a point of concern for most species. 
For some, it was a quick and simple meal, but for most, it was just simply nature at work. They, herself included, had simply continued on. At most, many might have moved the dying newborn off the trail and out of sight. But Ben saw it and swept it up the pitiful creature without hesitation. He made strange cooing noises to the animal, which had begun to squeal in panic when he first scooped it up with a surprisingly gentle hands, only to cradle the little bird lizard between two cupped hands and held close to his face. She had not been with him when the first discovered the fallen newborn, but had felt him at a distance and she strolled the campus grounds, and found herself inexplicably drawn to where he stood, awkwardly balancing her handheld device and the baby. He didn't notice her at first, and she simply stared up into the fungal tower at the high nest high above, where two adult trousers stared down with their beady black eyes. Hey, Anna. Yeah, it's a bit of an emergency. Got a, um, uh, what? Lizard bird thing. Yeah. Her trousers hurt. Looks like it fell out of a nest. Yep, got it right here. I mean, uh, you're majoring in xenozoology and stuff, right? Thought you might be able to. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. I'll bring it to your class now. Thanks a lot. The newborn suddenly struggled in his hands, and in an effort to keep it contained, he dropped the device on the ground. Yet he seemed more concerned about the animal than his own property, not even bothering to try and catch it or even assess if it was broken. Instead, making those same strange cooing noises as he held his cupped hands near his face once more, and the sense of concern rolling off the man was startlingly moving. He cared more about the tiny, weak animal than he did about his own property. It was oddly endearing, something that she had never really considered before. It hinted at a level of empathy that was entirely uncommon amongst other species. She simply picked up the device, glancing at the cracked screen, and held it out to Ben, who only finally noticed her. The sudden flash of panic surprise, mixed with a fondness and joy, when he saw her, caused her to smile. Days later, she next crossed paths with Ben as he sat in the xenozoology class after hours. She was returning from her own classes, and happened to pass close enough to the room to feel the presence of the two humans in the classroom. Ben was familiar to her, but the other had clearly been a human just of the strength of the emotion that they admitted. The stranger had a resigned acceptance about them, a dull, distant sadness, something many races might have felt as the passing of a near relative, one for whom death had been slow in coming. For Ben, it was much sharper, and coupled with a fierce, stubborn denial. Bad news, likely concerning the wounded truces. She lingered in the hallway until Ben emerged, carrying a small box acquired from the cafeteria kitchens, which seemed to be lined with a fungal tower bar that she would only assume was an old shirt. He caught sight of her and let the class door slide shut behind him, offered her a surprisingly warm smile considering the distant sorrow he still clung to him. Hey, Piala. She watched him quietly and then smiled softly in return and carefully approached, indicating to the box in his hands. He smiled sadly and held a little lower so that she could see within. The baby truces was nestled into carefully feathered fungal bark, apparently asleep. Anna? Yella pointed to the closed classroom. The human within was sad, but clearly intent to move on. Ben nodded and balanced the box on the crook of his arm and reached into the box to brush off one soft-touched finger along the truces' snout. It opened its eyes slightly and nuzzled against the finger, sniffing briefly before settling down to sleep again. Not good? 
Piella carefully arranged her barriers and down for Ben's emotions washed over her without taking her with them. No, few days maybe. Best we can do is keep the little bugger comfortable. She looked up at him confused. Would it not be easier just to return it to the wild, let nature take its course? He became defensive for a moment and then washed away as he smiled softly, offering her a confused shrug. Would you want to be tossed in a bush to or spend the last of your days with someone who cared? An obvious answer. She smiled softly and nodded in agreement. Can I help? Despite how sad he felt, in the depths of his sorrow, he shed no tears for the little cruisers as he had and Jake finished burying the little bird lizard. Even Jake, who had little to no contact with the animal, had taken the news hard. But there had been a sense of pride when Ben had asked Jake to help bury the creature. She'd help Ben on and off the past few days, either holding the dying animal in her hands to keep it warm or scouring the university's grounds for a few grumps for it to eat. And as such, she too had been invited to the impromptu little ceremony. It all confused her. It confused many of the students, actually. The humans had a reputation for being aggressive, violent, stubborn, untrustworthy. Yet, everything she had seen in Ben and his friends had been so contrary. They argued amongst themselves, certainly, but they were also uh, caring, startlingly so. Many of the other students thought it was an overwhelming weakness. She, however, had started to have her doubts about that. When the last of the dirt was patted onto the small grave, Ben continued to kneel a moment longer, the final wave of sorrow crashing over him as the grave wet soil a final pat. And then, it was gone. Well, not gone, but he had suddenly let go of the pain and flashed Jake and Piella a warm smile. Well, should we go get something to eat? She couldn't help but laughed, pleased that Jake and Ben had both had moved on. She had doubted if they could. The sheer strength of their attachment to the dying animal had caused her some doubt as to whether they could ever move on from the loss. Humans were an emotionally hardy species, it seemed. He couldn't believe it had taken him six months to realize who Piella was. In hindsight, there had been some flags, like how their little programming project happened to get the green light from the usually apprehensive Academy staff, or how they had been provided with access to one of the Academy's supercomputers, an outdated model that the board had been pondering retiring entirely, perhaps, but still odd. Schools did tend to love trimming the fat and saving money, after all. Then there had been the hiking trip. During the reading week, she had tagged along with him as he decided to go hiking in the mountains of Drikolov. The global weather control had been slated for rain during the trip, but that had suddenly been cleared up in the very day that they had been intending to depart. Other little things. Whenever she went off campus, there tended to be a few cleared adults around. They weren't uncommon on Drikolov, but there were always one or two near where they went. Even during the mountain hike, which had been especially odd, and in that he felt rather foolish for chastising them for not having their gear despite being a good 20 kilometers into the mountain valley. He'd even given them a few protein bars and a bottle of water, which she had found unusually amusing. You're a princess! He stared at her through the holographic displays of his computer terminal. They shared one over a large table and a desk and tended to work on the opposite sides of it. So, he had gotten used to seeing her through the often dozens of overlapping holographic displays between them. She glanced up at him briefly before turning her attention back to her own work, although it was all in front 
All her attention was on him, in fact, and she had built her walls especially thick in preparation for what was coming. He'd finally figured out the truth, and that would mean that he'd either distance himself out of fear of causing her trouble, or he would try and use her for his own gain. It was simply the way of things. He sat there, clearly dumbstruck at the revelation, but that shock slowly faded to a mild amusement, likely aided himself for never realizing before, and then faded back to his usual pleasantly calm state, and he lowered his gaze back to his own workstation. Cool, we still have princesses and stuff like that back home. I'm even like, uh, super distantly related to one. Of course, by now, just about every human probably is, I guess. Never thought I'd meet a real one, though. And that was it. He had learned that she was inheriting daughter of the Cleosted Imperium, would become one of the most powerful people in the United World, and just, um, accepted it and moved on. His feelings towards her hadn't changed. He wasn't terrified, wasn't trying to think of ways to use their connection to his own benefit. He just accepted it and moved on. She watched him for a few more moments, settling her own emotions, then lowered her gaze back to her work. Artificial intelligence had been realized long ago, and while pursuing an education in one field was mostly pointless for her, programming had always been something she enjoyed. So her thesis had been on development of AIs that can help bridge the gaps between cultures. AIs that were the result of multiple species working on a development, both technically and socially. Of course, considering her background, finding anyone to work on it had been all but impossible. Until Ben had come along. So what should we call it? Oh wait, probably too soon to think of a name, isn't it? I mean, we don't even know what gender it'll be. Or if it'll identify as having one. Probably let him make a choice itself. Then think of a name? He sat stopped and was staring in consternation at a random point in the wall. Mine clearly racing as he dealt with a fresh deluge of thoughts. Or let it name itself. Would a name you gave yourself have as much meaning though? I mean, names are important, right? Like mine's Benjamin, old name, like that. Like 4,000 years or something, means son of the right hand, or something. Cause I'm the younger son, I guess. So my dad always had me along to help him with stuff around the house, right? Told me the meaning of my name, and bam, fit like that. He stopped talking when he realized she was sitting with both her elbows on the desk, face in her hands, and was trying not to laugh at his constant rambling. Well, we'll name it when it's done. All right, Benjamin. Benjamin's a kid's name, though. I go by Ben. Of course, Benjamin. They spent two years together at the academy. Two of the most meaningful years of her life. And then it was over. The human students had been shipping home over the past few months. She hadn't even really noticed at first. Not until Jake got his orders two weeks ago. It came suddenly. He had received word from his government that he was being enrolled into the Naval Academy. There was no declining the offer, especially since the enrollment in the Kishnan Dar Academy was state-funded. Ben's orders were definitely worded, but with the same meaning. I'm being recalled to Vega Tori Sector Patrol Fleet. I serve one year aboard an old patrol boat. We have some mandatory service back home. He was sitting with a common area in the dormitory, holding a piece of paper. His orders had been hand-delivered by a representative of his nation's ambassador, as well as the two other human students that were off with their own friends to discuss their departures. There was rarely any coverage of human space in the United World's net. Most racists didn't care, and it was always the same thing. 
border skirmishes, convoluted treaties or trade agreements, or disagreements that often led to more border skirmishes. Most recently, though, over the vague reports of trouble with the far edges of human space, pirates likely etching out their own kingdom. He was frustrated, of course, but equally there was a sense of pride, or duty perhaps. He was being called upon for reasons unknown to him, and he would answer without complaint. Even after two years, he continued to confuse her. How could someone that could cry over some few written words or a dying animal simply turn around and march off to military service? I'd say we'll keep in touch, but you probably aren't allowed personal correspondence with a foreign military member, right? Yeah, thought not. He was silent again, pondering his next move. And she just sat there, leaning with the strange realization that for once, something was out of her reach. She couldn't prevent him from going, short of having the government take him, something that the Empress, her mother, would have no interest in doing. Human affairs were messy things, and she would not get involved. Let the humans sort themselves out was a common opinion. He folded the letter and tucked it back in the envelope, and then tapped it idly on the his palm of his hand. Well, this is going to happen eventually, I suppose. Not me being drafted, but graduation... You're done here next year, right? Thesis is complete, pending her final calibrations. Too bad I won't get to see her all grown up. A fresh wave of conflicting emotions crashed together in Ben. He was concerned, sad, proud, worried. It was an endless sea, yet he seemed to calm outwardly. All but his eyes, of course, which she found herself staring into again. He wasn't afraid for himself, he was afraid for the AI that had just programmed together. He was worried that she would be sad that he was leaving. We'll meet again, Ben. I'm the next empress, after all. He laughed as he stood up, tacking the letter into his pocket. By imperial decree, junior officer Benjamin Owens is to be handed over to Forthworth. My first decree, when I'm an empress, you can come wash the halls of my palace. She smiled and stood. She knew it was a joke and that indeed they would never cross paths again but she had learned that the art of sarcastic banter from her human friends. Well, until then, you know... No, I suppose you don't. Old human saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. She just smiled. She knew he had already accepted that they would never meet again, but the sentiment was honest. It took many long weeks for her to move on without Ben being around. Every day after he shipped out, she had expected to see him again. She could still feel his presence, distant, but there, while there was Derekliff and his government's embassy awaiting the ship that would carry him home. She knew when he had departed, she woke one morning with the feeling of his emotions were simply gone, likely boarded a ship and left planetary orbit while she had slept, and then too far away for her to read any more. Her last months of the academy hadn't had the same feeling to them, she finished her and Ben's work, her thesis was complete, and hope was born. She had named herself after reading a sealed word file that Ben had left for her, and the smile she had whenever Piella asked what it had said was so full of joy and mischievous secrets that she couldn't help but wonder if Ben and Hope had indeed met. She had to pull some strings to bring Hope with her when she finished the academy, and then she returned home to the capital of the Cloistered Empire where the next phase of her training would begin. As a future empress, she was expected to learn the ins and outs of politics, economics, sciences, every aspect of a people's ways and the systems of governance. 
Through it all, her only true companion was Hope, whom every day learned new ways to sneak her way through the Cleosta data net, always one step ahead of Piella, waiting at her next temporary residence, the next office of employment. She was inherently a trickster and a lover of harmless pranks, a gatherer of interesting tidbits and gossip. Three years had passed, and then the nightmares began. Lieutenant Owens was in Obery's head. He'd wanted to be a programmer, or maybe be a writer, not a soldier. His head was pounding, the HUD on his helmet overloading him with too much information. Warning markers flagged from other members of his platoon minus swarm through his vision every time he turned his head. Warning markers, vital readouts, unachievable waypoints. Until a few months ago, he'd been a junior officer in the sector patrol fleet. But after the Tory mines debacle, there had been a greater need for platoon commanders in the militia. He was fit and had always scored well in the annual pistol range. So he'd been torn from his platoon and tossed into a crash course on exoskeleton piloting and thrown into the militia. A facility carved out of rock on an asteroid. A mine, home to hundreds of staff and their families on the outskirts of Begatory system. The corridors were lit only by dull flash of red emergency lighting, the flash of small arms wire. He walked backwards slowly, awkwardly. His breath was fast and shallow, rife with near-panic cursing and muttering, the target reticle of his rifle dancing across his HUD, and the weapon jumped up every time he hurriedly pulled the trigger. Firing discipline was gone. Monsters swam out of the darkness. He fired at one. He was certain that he had struck it, but it continued lumbering forward. Shredded flesh, exposed bone, but still it came. A tendril rising from over its shoulder. He ducked behind cover as a particle beam flashed through where he had been standing, leaving the smell of charged ozone in its wake. He stepped out again, brought his rifle up again, and his targeting reticle flashed blue. He squeezed the trigger before realizing what had happened, and the weapon was silent. He tried again, and he actually saw his new target. A familiar face stared at him. The eyes were dead, the face twisted in a grimace of pain and horror. The powered exoskeleton was visibly broken. One arm was simply gone. Metallic claws and worm-like hoses were twisting around its frame to dig into the dead flesh of one of the soldiers. He couldn't shoot. Not that he didn't want to, but his gun wouldn't let him. He pulled the trigger and no effect, and they continued forward. Another flash of particle beam struck the wall, pelting him with shards of superheated stone. A second shot grazed his helmet, and he screamed in pain as his face burned. He was under a lot of stress, constantly moving through the Cleostid Imperium in the final stages of her education before she would transition to a more permanent position as a representative of the Empress, her mother, a more open role in politics. The nightmare had forgotten shortly after she woke, and she had moved on. Time passed, and she forgot all about it. Humanity continued to be largely ignored by the United Worlds. The usual stories of conflicts, bickering, and fighting... The People's Socialist Stellar Republic had closed its borders and made a declaration of expelling all non-human sapiens from its borders. A pointless gesture, as it had never allowed non-humans in to begin with. It hadn't been the first time that it had made such declarations, however, and surely it wouldn't be the last. And life carried on. The eagles floundering, hawks confirmed that they had boarded. 
Lieutenant Ben Owen stood on the bridge of the Falcon, gripping on the bars of the mountain low ceiling of the cramped room. The direct hit from the torn gash through the sublight patrol engine, and he tried not to stare at the meters-long hole and the vented the bridge to the vacuum of space, killing most of the command crew. Weapon status. The crew always wore lightly armored void suits, helmets, and during combat operations, but it had done little to save the bridge crew when the hole had been blown through the hull. Most of them had been killed instantly, and it had been a miracle his sturdy ship was intact and the bridge controls, most of them at least, were still operational. Tube 2 is gone, point of fence starboard below the gunwale gone, the main guns are still up, but the forward ammo bunker is gone? The autoload system from the stern reserve bunker is down. We would have to go hand bomb the browns of the guns, sir. The weapons operator was the ship's cook. Navigation was the militia detachment shuttle pilot. Orc, they're requesting we scuttle her. They've lost control and self-destruct. One of the ship's technicians stood over his comms station. She hadn't bothered unstrapping from the dead crewman. He froze again. Hesitated, he knew the captain of the Hawk, much of the crew. He served aboard her during the year of mandatory service, and they were asking him to kill them. Eagles being grappled, they're sparking off the self-destruct. The fleet is running, sir. He squeezed his eyes shut, prayed for it all to be a bad dream, prayed for someone else to come along and take responsibility from him, prayed the enemy would just vanish. Hawk reports that they're on the bridge door. Their firewalls are fading, sir. Target the Hawk. Tube 1, fire. Then get us the hell out of here. He was too much of a coward to watch. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.